Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, Kellen, check out this review that we got on Apple Podcasts this week, which, by the way, this came from a user called Fist of Midgets. Fist of Midgets. Wow, that is a fantastic visual. <laughs> well, my question is, it's one fist, but of multiple midgets. <laughs> like there are midgets contained within the fist? <laughs> like I've got a fistful of midgets? <laughs> All right. So he says, or she says, I shouldn't assume... I really appreciate the low-level approach of explaining it to someone who is somewhat skeptical, as when I first became interested in Collapse, it was easy to become overwhelmed with information and get lost in the weeds of how complex our global system really is today. Recommending this to all my friends who are interested in learning about Collapse, but don't know where to start. We super appreciate all the reviews coming in, so thank you so much, Fist of Midgets. We appreciate the support. If you haven't yet, please feel free to leave us a review makes us smile. And the more creative the username, the better. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if anyone can top Fist of Midgets. That's fantastic. And I'll just up the ante and say, if someone does leave us a great review and with a better username than Fist of Midgets, they will likely be spotlighted on the show. Wow, what a reward. (laughs) All right. Well, Kellen did such a good job with his episode on consumerism that he volunteered to do this one today as well. And last week we introduced the topic, which is coping. And I specifically said that I'm really grateful that Kellen's taking this one because it's honestly a topic that I know very little about. I personally am not a super emotional person, especially when it comes to collapse. For whatever reason, maybe I just haven't fully accepted it, but my mind just doesn't, I don't go to a super emotional place. But I know that for a lot of people, this is something that can impact them pretty hard in both their mental health and their general well-being. So I'm really excited to hear um, what you've come prepared with. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this episode as well. I'm by no means an expert, but I have dealt with my own mental health and have been fortunate to find the resources and the coping mechanisms to deal with that. I also did study psychology for a while as part of my education. I thought I would be a therapist for a time and ended up getting a bachelor's degree in a related topic before I went on to get a master's in business. So I feel like I've been introduced to a whole world of coping mechanisms and models around how to deal with hard things and how to be resilient, what makes somebody happy despite their circumstances. So that actually leads to one point I want to bring up before we really dive into things, which is that we could spend years of podcast episodes on this sort of topic. 
you know, I think there are more books written about how to be happy than anything else out there. Everyone wants to be happy, right? And you think about all the content that exists, all the research and all the philosophies around grief and how you deal with pain and trauma and mental health, you know, from a an emotional standpoint and from a spiritual standpoint and from a more academic standpoint, there's so much out there. And frankly, a lot of it is fluff, right? It's just noise. Even when it comes to the research that's been done, a lot of the models that are out there and the theories aren't necessarily substantiated. They haven't been backed up. And in some cases, the research even kind of contradicts. So I imagine in future episodes, we'll dive more into aspects of how to cope with collapse. And this isn't meant to be comprehensive, but I think there will be a lot of value here. I'm hoping it will be something that's helpful for everybody who listens. We'll talk about some things that are a little more philosophical and also some things that are just more practical. And one major caveat here is that if you are listening and you deal with some sort of a serious, you know, clinical condition, if you have depression or anxiety, that should be treated as a medical condition with proper medication, with therapy, with whatever is needed to help you through that. And there's no shame in that. The purpose of this isn't to try and address how you get over depression. The purpose of this is to talk about how you deal with a scary future, especially when you see the road that we're on. And maybe with that in mind, Corey, I'll just pause and ask you, you mentioned that you don't feel much of a toll on your mental health. You don't feel much of an emotional reaction to everything that you know about collapse. However, I know that you have been a part of the collapse community for a long time. You've been learning about this for a long time. What do you see from others that you feel makes this such a relevant topic? Well, I'll just say that I think my wife thinks I'm a robot because she's seen me cry like maybe once or twice in the eight years that we've known each other. And it's not that I'm emotionless, right? I cry, but I, when I cry, it's by myself. I don't like to cry in front of other people. And it's funny, just as a side note, that when I do cry, it's usually over really stupid things. Like I'll watch like a commercial <laughs> that like makes me tear up and I'm like, what the heck? But then, you know, I don't cry like at a funeral or something like that. But as far as like what I see from others, as you go through the different stages of acceptance and awareness of collapse, you genuinely go through the stages of grief. And so you get a lot of denial. And that's what we see most of is denial from other people, right? You try and talk about this with people and they immediately shove it away and want to talk about something happy. But then you go through other stages and and as there's more and more awareness, I've seen people talk about how they can be at peace with it almost. I've seen some people who say that it just is despair and hopelessness for them and other people who say that it actually gives them some purpose and meaning because they feel like life really isn't just about working that nine to five and you know the slave labor for a minimum wage, that sort of thing. They realize that collapse almost somehow gives them some meaning. And so there's a whole range of emotions. But I think for most people, at least to some degree, and myself included in this, we look at collapse and realize it's so much more than just a word and so much more than just like this story. It's not fiction. You grasp that we're talking about a future in which we lose the comforts that we're used to. We lose the habits and the rituals that we're used to. We lose the conveniences that we're used to. And then beyond that, there's mass amounts of suffering and hardship. And those you love who have been denying it as you've been trying to tell them about it are going to suffer. And you yourself are going to suffer. 
it's not a movie with some happy ending at the end where you're the hero of the story that saves the day, right? Like collapse is going to be ugly for everyone. That level of awareness when it settles on people, I've seen for the most part, it, at least at first, has that very negative and sort of depressing impact. I think that's a good way to say it. And I think you've highlighted a number of really important things. Like you said, we are all wired differently, right? Your reaction is going to be different than mine. Everyone's going to be unique in how they handle it. And also, as collapse occurs, people are going to be at different stages of grief, depending on how directly it is impacting them at the time and exactly what they're going through. You know, I've already had the experience, even though I'm new to this, of mentioning to people, hey, I'm a part of this podcast and here's what it's about. And they say something like, I don't think I'm going to listen to that because it just sounds sad. I don't want to listen to something sad. And for somebody who is collapse aware, they might want to grab that person and shake them and be like, quit turning away from reality, quit plugging your ears, quit denying all of this. But at the same time, I don't think we can be overly critical of people who don't want to spend their life focused on something that is depressing. Yeah, and I'll actually say, like, when I get that reaction from somebody, and I'm not out here, like, preaching it to people, except for on this podcast, right? Like, you choose to listen to the podcast if it's what you want to listen to. But to my friends and my family and the people I know, I do not push this at all. As a matter of fact, I really only bring it up if it comes up in casual, normal conversation. If someone tells me that the topic is sad and they're not going to listen to the podcast, they don't want to listen to it because of that, that is their form of coping. And because we really, in the end feel like there's no solution to the problem. Knowing about it doesn't necessarily fix anything for you. Like you just said, I shouldn't have to condemn you to this knowledge that might cause you pain and anxiety and depression. And that's why we said in the first episode of this podcast, if you feel like this is something that could be detrimental to your health, don't listen to it. Yeah, one example that comes to mind is that I saw some research recently or some analysis of data that suggests that one in every two people will get cancer at some point in their lives, which that is a reality, but it's also pretty tragic. And not that every form of cancer is going to be as impactful. Not every form of cancer is as severe or will be fatal, but you might have somebody who wants to learn more about that and wants to find ways that they can prevent themselves from getting cancer. And you might have somebody else who just says, yeah, sure, that might be the reality, but I don't even want to think about it, which actually is a great segue into the first point I want to bring up as we dive into the meat of this episode, which is something that's called the Stockdale Paradox. It comes from somebody by the name of James Stockdale, who apparently was a former vice presidential candidate. He was a naval officer, but he became a Vietnam prisoner of war and was brutally tortured for over seven years. And if you think about all the hardships that are coming with collapse, even as desperate and as hopeless as things might get, like if there's anything out there that compares to the worst of the worst of what we might expect, you know, here's a guy who for seven years had no idea if there would be any escape at any point and was routinely brutally tortured. To give you an idea, they locked him in leg irons in a bath stall and routinely beat him. You know, his leg was broken a couple of times. At one point, because of his status in the military, they wanted to kind of parade him around as propaganda. And he actually took a razor to his own scalp to try and disfigure himself a little bit to prevent that. They covered that up with a hat. And so he beat his own face with a stool until his face was swollen enough that he was unrecognizable. I mean, you think of just how awful 
but he got through it and he went on to live a fulfilling life. Like I mentioned, he was a vice presidential candidate. At one point, he was being interviewed. And I think you'll find this really fascinating, Corey, and and anybody who's out there listening. I'm just going to read this short paragraph. It's a quote from him. He was asked which prisoners didn't make it out of Vietnam. And his response was this. Oh, that's easy. The optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. So I love starting out with this because it is a paradox. That's why it's called the Stockdale Paradox, that you have to have both realism, you have to confront the reality of your situation while also having that optimism, or as he calls it, that faith that you will prevail. And I believe the opposite of hope is despair. And as I've been looking around, you know, on the subreddit and seeing what people that are collapse aware say, I see that there is a lot of despair. There are people who make absolutely tragic statements and other people who get so upset when they see optimism because they feel like it's just hopium. It's people doing exactly what James Stockdale was talking about, right? Just blindly stating that, oh, everything's going to be okay. Technology will save us. Yeah, exactly. It's a parallel to saying, yeah, we'll be out of here by Christmas. We'll be out of here by Easter. I think people who aren't willing to confront the reality of the situation are not going to be resilient to it. But also people who totally give themselves up to despair and lose all optimism whatsoever are also not going to be very resilient. So I hadn't heard about the Stockdale Paradox until now, um, but this is actually awesome because it answers a lot of questions I think about myself that I've had in the past. In conversations I've had with people about, you know, are you an optimist? Are you a realist? Are you a pessimist? And I haven't really known. Sometimes I say I'm an optimist. Sometimes I say I'm a realist. And even sometimes people will say I'm a pessimist. And I think it's because I and other people don't necessarily know the definition of each of those things. But the way that he makes it sound, I I realize I'm a realist in that I accept the situation. But I feel like I'm optimistic in that I have a good attitude and a good outlook on my standing in the situation, I guess. It's like a person who has cancer. Straight up optimism would be them saying, I'm going to be cured of cancer. So what is it when that person accepts that they have cancer but says, I'm going to live my best life for as long as I have, and their attitude never gets shaken? Like, is there a name for that? So that is such a fantastic question. And you asked if there's a name for it. I'm sure there is some sort of terminology out there. But one of the principles I want to touch on is that meaning or purpose always trumps comfort. And what I mean by that is that like we talked about before, everybody has this innate desire to be happy. But happiness doesn't come from comfort, even though often we think that's where it comes from. There has been so much research out there, and this is where the research really agrees. If you have meaning and purpose in your life, then you'll be happy regardless of your circumstances. So as an example, according to the Census Bureau, the average household income in the United States 
even after it's been adjusted for inflation, was higher in 2019 than has ever been recorded. And that's not just a skewed average because the ultra wealthy are that much more wealthy. It's not just like these outliers are dragging up the average. In every segment, average household income is higher. Living space per person, when you look at household size, has nearly doubled in the last few decades. And yet, happiness has been on a gradual decline since at least 1988, according to the research. So we have more luxury, we have more resources, and yet, at least in the United States, we're less and less happy. You know, you think of some kid who's in a multi-million dollar home and has everything he needs, but is never content, versus perhaps some kid who most of the time is going hungry in an impoverished African nation, but is happy and cheerful all the time. And not that that's always the case, but there are just countless examples out there that prove comfort isn't what provides happiness. And to demonstrate that, maybe another example would be somebody who has, let's say they're a zookeeper. They work in a zoo and they spend 80% of their time just cleaning up animal crap. And they might just love animals and have this deep sense of meaning, right? Like they feel like they're doing something meaningful and helping these animals and they love their job. Whereas somebody else could have that exact same job and feel like what could be worse than cleaning up animal crap all day? So culturally... We think that if we didn't have to work and we were sitting on a warm beach all day, sipping a nice cool drink, that that's what happiness is. But the research shows that's not the case. And that instead, happiness is a byproduct of living a meaningful life. So then what does that mean? What does it mean to have meaning in your life? Well, there's a few different areas. One of them is just feeling like your life actually has worth, has value. Significance is a term that's used. Another is purpose, right? That you have some sort of a reason or a goal that drives you. Coherence is something that's brought up, and that just means your life isn't a series of disconnected events, right? That all of this isn't just senseless. So those are a few ways that people talk about having a life that's meaningful. And another big one is belonging. You know, 2020 has proven that loneliness and feeling ostracized does weird things to people. It is not good for mental health. So even if you're like me, right, every time I take any sort of a personality test or anything like that, I always end up being more introverted than extroverted. But you're still human, and and as humans, we are social creatures. Part of what brings meaning to life is feeling this sense of belonging, which means you feel connectedness and there's some level of shared respect. You know, you you feel like you value others and they value you. And sometimes people think belonging is just like, hey, I'm part of a group, right? But you might be in a violent gang or a terrorist group and, and sure they value you, but they only value you for what you're willing to do instead of valuing you for who you are. So I love that you bring up that question because really, if you want to be happy, even when things are tough, one of the keys to that is feeling purpose and feeling like your life is meaningful. So how does someone who is dealing with the acceptance of collapse find this sort of meaning and this sort of belonging? Because I could see someone who is collapse aware or becoming collapse aware saying, collapse shows that there is no meaning to any of this. Like, what's the point of me going to school and getting this degree and getting married and having a family when it's all just going to end anyway? It's such a good question, and there are a lot of ways that could be answered. A couple of initial thoughts are, first of all, your belief system plays a big part in this. You know, this isn't a podcast that's meant to dive into 
religion and religious beliefs, but if you have some sort of faith, right, that faith can give a lot of meaning. And I will just say, I don't think somebody should adopt faith simply as a coping mechanism. I don't think it really serves a purpose if it's not genuine, right? Because otherwise you're just trying to convince yourself of something. But for those that really have a strong belief, it can be a huge part of being resilient and coping effectively. Another thing that comes to mind is this acceptance of like, okay, things are going to be hard, right? Maybe the future for me doesn't look like it did for people in the past, but there are still things that I can do that are meaningful. Maybe I can contribute to the world in a way that relieves some suffering, right? I'm going to die anyways. Everyone's going to die. I might as well spend my time making life better for others. Or maybe being aware of collapse is exactly what drives you to a certain line of work that can help fight climate change or that can reduce the burden of poverty or that can resolve some of the political turmoil. So I think a lot of that meaning, that purpose comes from what we decide to do with whatever situation we feel like we are being given currently or that we are going to be given. But I'd love to turn that question back on you and see if you have any additional thoughts. Yeah, I really like what you said about this idea that we are all going to die. Like whether it comes via collapse or whether it comes via me getting hit by a bus tomorrow, right? Or old age or cancer or one of the other million things that it could be. Like I am not immortal. Nobody is. I have at most, you know, 50, 60 years left. And so, yeah, it really doesn't matter. Whether it's me starving to death or me suffering in some other way, like that's just life. And so collapse to me is just a unique experience that we are going to have in our lives that most people throughout history have not been able to experience. And we're going to experience it in a way that no other people in history have experienced. And as far as finding meaning beyond just the curiosity of what it's going to be like and being honored to live in this time, it's to me, like you said, saying, what can I do to help other people along the way? Like, man, if there's going to be serious suffering and I'm going to die either way, like who can I help along the way? What difference can I make in the people around me? And just completely forget about myself. And I'm not saying that that's how I am or that I could pull that off, right? Especially because I have a family that I feel like I have to protect. But that's one way that I've thought in particular about finding meaning. And when it comes to belonging, I think it's interesting because our episodes in the last two weeks, we've talked about the importance of resilience and building communities that could be resilient through collapse. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The thought of isolating myself in a bunker in order to survive, there's zero meaning in that, right? Like I mentioned that if, if surviving collapse means not doing it in communities, then I don't know that I want to because I, like you said, I find that's 
sense of belonging to be extremely important. And without it, I don't feel like there's much purpose in even trying. Such good points. And when you talk about preparedness and resilience, I mean, to think of just existing for the sake of survival so that you alone, like you said, can live in your bunker, that is pretty depressing. But if I can say, hey, beyond just trying to prepare for my own needs if I can create enough resilience and maybe build up enough food storage to help some family members and friends as well, that gives me a lot of purpose and meaning. And something that you said brings up another point, which again goes back to a lot of the research that's out there. Resilient people, whether we're talking about collapse or we're talking about any sort of other tragedy that can come your way, resilient people recognize that bad stuff happens to everybody. So when something awful happens to them, they don't feel like the universe is picking on them. They're not sitting there asking, why me? Right? They don't feel entitled to have this perfect, easy life. Like every single person listening to this podcast has dealt with heartbreak or divorce or, you know, losing a loved one, loneliness, mental health issues, physical health issues, financial problems, whatever it might be. Everyone goes through hard things and resilient people recognize that and can roll with the punches. Okay, so the next point I want to make is that if you want to cope effectively, you shouldn't spend all of your time obsessing about the future. And in a way, like if I were marketing this podcast, <laughs> maybe I would tell everyone, you need to obsess about the future and listen to every single episode of this podcast. And again, it goes back to that balance. We talked about balance between accepting reality and also being optimistic. There's also a balance with how much time you spend thinking about the future and in the end, really all you can do is focus on what is within your control. You can only control what's going on in the present. So here's some imagery that might help. And this is kind of a model that's used in therapy that I really like. But Corey, I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to just picture a long straight road that goes as far off into the distance as you can see. I can see it. <laughs> You're such a good participant. <laughs> and on one side of the road... Right, If you veer off too far from one lane, there's going to be a rumble strip. And on the other side of the road, there's a rumble strip as well. Right, This might be a silly question to ask, but what's the purpose of a rumble strip? To alert you that you're getting off the road. So I want you to then just think the rumble strip on one side is the future and the rumble strip on the other side is the past. If you think about it, almost every negative emotion we ever feel is because we're focused either on the past or the future. So depression usually in large part comes from focusing on the past, right? Anxiety comes from your fears and worries about the future. Guilt and grief and anger are all negative emotions associated with looking at the past. Fear, despair, feeling overwhelmed, those are typically things that all come from looking at the future. So really almost every negative emotion we feel is because we're not spending enough time looking at the present. And in a way, it's your mind's version of a rumble strip, right? It's this alert. You start to feel that negative emotion. You start to feel that anxiety or depression or whatever. It's your mind's way of telling you that you need to pull yourself back into the middle of the road. You need to pull yourself back to the present. You know, you and I, Corey, haven't really talked much. I guess we haven't shared or divulged much about our individual family situations. But I'll just say I have a five-year-old son who just naturally has kind of a, an anxious personality. And he's five years old, but he came into the room the other day and to my wife and I said, I'm really nervous about getting married. <laughs> he should be. <laughs> and we were like, we've taught you well. <laughs> no, we said, what are you talking about? And he said, I just am nervous who am I going to marry? Like, am I going to get married? 
And we're here saying, like, why are you even thinking about that right now? Like, enjoy your life. Enjoy your childhood. If that comes, it'll come. And that'll come a long ways from now. Like, it's clear off in your future. Quit worrying about it. But I think sometimes when it comes to something like collapse, people get so nervous and anxious. And it leads to them feeling down and depressed when the best thing they can do for themselves is to pull themselves back into the present. So how do you do that? I mean... Are you know? Are you saying to basically ig- like ignore collapse and put it out of your mind, or are you saying find something that you can do now to make yourself feel like you're in control, or like what's what's the best route? I think it's both. I think a lot of it comes down to being very self-aware and asking yourself the question: Is what I'm doing right now hurting or harming me? Right? Like you have to be kind to yourself. If you have some tragedy and a loved one passes away, there is a grieving process. But if you're years down the road and you are every night staring at photographs of that person and just dissolving into tears, it's not like you need to ignore the fact that they passed on and that you love them. But at least some of those nights, you do need to distance yourself from that and say, I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm going to go do something that I enjoy or do something to distract myself. So that's part of it. But the other part comes back to what you said, which is, what can I do now? I can't control what's going to happen in the future. All I can control is what I'm going to do with this moment right now. And if it's going to make me feel better about the future to focus on preparedness, then what can I do right now to make sure I'm more prepared for the future? Yeah. I know, like, for me personally, I know that helps me. Like, even if I'm not actually doing something to prepare, if I focus my thoughts away from like, oh crap, the future is so scary to just thinking about what I can do to feel more in control, making a list of things that I would buy if I had the money to, you know, just like, you know, my version of problem solving is, is very logical. If I have a problem, I like to analyze the problem, figure out if there are any solutions, figure out if those solutions are in my control. And if they are, then make a list of what the things that I can do are to fix the problem. And that helps me feel in control. Not everyone thinks that way, right? Like for, some, for not everyone that will work. But for me, I find that just, just even having sort of that exercise in my mind calms me down. Yeah, and you think about it in the setting of like, let's say you're a student and you have some big exam that's coming. You're going to be miserable thinking about that exam unless you do spend some time studying, right? Spend some time doing the things that will help you be prepared for it. But at a certain point, you can't spend every minute of every day studying and worrying about it. That's going to do you more harm than good. At some point, you need to sleep. At some point, you need to probably get out and walk around and do something that will help you get distance from studying or worrying about it. So there's a balance there. Um, We mentioned that analogy of traveling down a road and you've got the rumble strip on either side and that's kind of what your negative emotions are. But one point I want to make that I think is really important for coping with anything is that negative emotions aren't bad. They serve their purpose. And sometimes there's this emphasis on not feeling the full range of emotions, right? Trying to avoid anger and sadness and awkwardness and discomfort. And even though we probably shouldn't seek out negative emotions, we shouldn't see them as as bad or feel that something is wrong if we're feeling a negative emotion. If you are a collapse-aware person and it makes you feel sad sometimes, like... That's probably a good thing. Means you're not a psychopath <laughs> or a sociopath. <laughs> exactly. You know, and in fact, there's a lot of research out there that's been emerging that indicates 
that obsessing over happiness, right? Always chasing happiness actually makes people less happy. You know, and we are in a culture where marketers are kind of putting us on this endless hamster wheel of chasing happiness, right? If you just had this one thing, if you could just go on this vacation, or if you had this one vehicle or whatever it might be, you would feel so much happier, right? That's kind of the underlying message of everything that's being fed to us. And it has caused us to continually chase happiness. And we have to step outside of that. We have to realize that there's going to be good days and bad days. You're going to experience the full range of emotions and there's nothing wrong with that. And when collapse advances and life gets harder, you're still going to have good days and bad days. Like we talked about before, people that can be in very challenging situations, facing extremely traumatic things, can still find happiness. And people that have all the comforts in the world can still be miserable. And so it's kind of just a word of advice to all of us to quit obsessing over being happy. And again, take care of yourself, live in the present, everything that we've talked about so far, but don't let it all consume you. Yeah, I think the moments in which I feel happiest are the moments in which I'm not stressing about trying to be happy. Like it's just doing the things I enjoy doing with the people I enjoy doing them and almost kind of just letting go of stressing over it. And I think that's a really hard thing to do, especially if you're someone who suffers from like obviously a clinical depression or anxiety. That's a whole other story. And I know you've said you've gone through that in your life. And I've personally had some instances of anxiety in my past as well, not over collapse, just over other things. But I like the principles that you're talking about here of grounding yourself in the present, stop chasing material happiness because that's not real happiness. And once you can accept your situation, whatever that may be, and have a good attitude in your circumstances, like you will find meaning and happiness. Yeah. And going back to meaning, a lot of the people that I admire most, whether I know them personally or they're just historical figures, usually the people that have lived the most meaningful lives have gone through some of the hardest things, right? That is the hero's story, overcoming adversity. And when it comes to being happy, a while back, I asked myself, who is the happiest person I know? And obviously I don't know the details that go on below the surface in every person's life that I I'm acquainted with. But I just thought, if I had to try and pick who is the very happiest person I know, who would it be? And in my case, the happiest person that I know is my grandma. And yet when I look at her life, you know, she went through some really tragic things. A lot of death in her family growing up. Her husband, my grandpa, died when my dad was only five and my grandma never remarried. And she was raising several children on her own. And, you know, If I had to also pick who is somebody who's gone through some of the most challenging trials, I would also point to my grandma. But something about all those experiences made her so much more patient and kind and empathetic and truly just happy. She is a happy person. And it's funny because there's a friend that I go running with a few times a week. I asked him, who's the happiest person that you know? And he was like, oh, I'm not sure. And then a couple days later, when I talked to him again, he said, you know, I actually thought about that question you asked me. And he said, it's my sister. And he's like, but I kind of compared her to my other sister. And, you know, the one who seems so happy and really is such a happy person has gone through so many hard things and lots of financial difficulties and, you know, close family members in and out of jail, stuff like that. And yet my other sister, who 
isn't necessarily like a depressed person, but just isn't as happy. You know, they're really well off. Husband is a doctor. So it just kind of confirmed that a life of meaning and even a life of happiness can exist despite our circumstances and even sometimes right in the midst of a life of challenges. I was reading something the other day that was talking about what's referred to as the greatest generation, you know, the generation that went through the Spanish flu and World War One, and the Great Depression, and World War Two, all within two decades. And talking about how many of them came away from that situation with just a different outlook on life. They had lived through some of the hardest times in American history and came out just appreciating and loving life despite having nothing. And you hear that from like minimalists and people who, who have focused less on material things and things like that and found meaning in other in other things. And I think if we want to find meaning, especially in something like collapse, like we have to go into being realistic about the situation, but having that good attitude of seeing a bigger picture. And I think, you know, we're talking about before, like collapse isn't a movie. There's no hero in the end that comes and saves the day and fixes everything. But I think that doesn't make it meaningless. I think there would be meaning in making yourself sort of the hero in someone else's story of collapse. Like the thought of holding the old lady's hand while she's dying, you know, or helping a neighbor who needs it, or, you know, even being as dramatic as saying, giving your last freeze-dried meal to the family that lives down the street. Like if you really accept the situation for what it is and can think outside of yourself and do something for others... You become someone else's hero. Not that saves the day, but I think that in and of itself could provide just a ton of meaning. I love that you say that because that's actually the first thing I have on my list. I've got a little list here of just some practical things you can do to cope with the idea of collapse. And the first is exactly what you're talking about. It's just to do some kind things, to relieve some suffering, to serve other people. Hopefully now, and also as the global situation deteriorates, you're willing to step outside yourself a little bit. And if we're going to have so much suffering, like we've talked about, you can either end your life having suffered and that's it, or you can end your life having suffered, but also having relieved the suffering of others. So why not do some good? Next thing I have on my list here is just be kind to yourself. And we kind of already talked about that, but I want to clarify that doesn't mean go get drunk until you pass out, right? So many coping mechanisms out there that people have are just trying to distract themselves or to numb the pain. And they turn to things that are really self-destructive, right? So when I say take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, that doesn't mean go give yourself some false sensation of euphoria through cocaine, right? (laughs) It means give yourself a break Yeah, serve others, but also do some things that help you relax and help you find joy. Um, Get outside. There is something almost magical about just getting into the outdoors. And whatever you see that as, you know, connecting with nature or just getting fresh air, however you see that, getting outside does wonders for people. And usually paired with that is exercise. Probably one of the most important things you can do is to be physically active. And that's good advice all around. 
but there's a lot of research that shows if we are physically active, right? Maybe it's just the endorphins that we get from it. Maybe it's the fact that you don't get all the same aches and pains if you keep yourself physically active. There's a lot of things that go into it, but if you can stay physically active and exercise, it's a fantastic way to burn off stress and cope with hard things. Another one is gratitude. And that can sound a little bit corny, but there's actually a whole depth of research that backs that up as well. That people who choose to focus on what's good, and especially if they take time to really list it out, it makes people happier. It helps you cope. Some of the studies that I have looked into focused on a segment of people that were in the midst of really traumatic things, right? Like losing a loved one. And those that took the time to list out positive things they were experiencing and things that they were grateful for were much more resilient, much more effective at overcoming their sorrow, much happier, right? So gratitude is huge. You know, and these aren't necessarily new. These are all probably things you've heard before, but hopefully they're a good reminder. Another one, distance yourself from social media and from the news, right? Take breaks from that. Usually the way that social media works is you're going to dive down an echo chamber where everything you hear agrees with your opinion. And if you are interested in collapse and you're interested in articles that demonstrate things are progressing that way, then your news feed is going to show up with more and more and more of those things. Yeah, they call it doom scrolling. Interesting. I hadn't heard that term. Yeah, it's actually like it's kind of mainstream now. I've seen articles from mainstream news organizations and stuff talking about doom scrolling and the effect it has on people's mental health. Yeah, and besides that, there's the fact that on social media, for example, everyone's posting these pictures that make it look like their lives are amazing and it's going to make you feel bad for yourself. So we could talk for a long time about that one, but just take a break from media in general. Uh, pick up a hobby, do something you enjoy. A while ago, I tried to think of like, what do I actually like to do when I finally get some free time? And usually I would just spend my time watching Netflix or something like that. But I tried to learn a new skill and pick up some hobbies. And it honestly makes a huge impact. What if that hobby is podcasting about collapse? <laughs> you are all center stage to our coping mechanism. <laughs> and the last thing I'll mention here is just to prepare. Like you said, Corey, that helps you feel a lot of peace of mind to know that you're preparing and that you'll be relieving future suffering. Goes back to what we talked about with focus on what you can control now, right? And when it comes to collapse, like you said, you can't really reverse it. You can't affect the broader outcome, but you can at least affect your own personal outcome. So we talked about a number of just principles, right? Some ways to kind of shift your perspective and how that can help you cope. We talked about a handful of practical things. And like I said before, there is so much content, right? If this is helpful, I hope people will let us know because there's so much more we could dive into. But I would love to just hear from you, Corey, out of what we talked about, what was most impactful or what are your takeaways? I think for me, it's just recognizing that this is something I need to think about more. Like I mentioned, I, I haven't known much about this and I haven't put much time or effort into learning it or paying attention to it. And a lot of the things that you said not to do are things that I do a lot. Like I am probably addicted to social media and doom scrolling and, and that sort of thing. I feel like I always have to be on my phone, right? I don't get enough exercise. I don't go outside enough. All these different things that, that I realize, yeah, I need, I need to focus on those things more. 
I don't think I'm an unhappy person. I think I'm a very happy person. But I also think that just because you're happy doesn't mean you don't have room to improve mental health. And I think I definitely could. And I also really appreciated the Stockdale paradox and kind of the discovery that uh, was for me to be able to compare sort of my perspective to someone else's. I have not been through that much hard stuff, right? Like you were talking about Stockdale who went through all these terrible things. I haven't. But the relatively minor things that I've gone through in my life, you know, I felt that connection to, to that story. So being able to identify if we're pessimistic or optimistic or realistic, I think grounding yourself in a philosophy helps solidify that philosophy when times do get hard. So thank you. I really appreciate you coming up with all this awesome content. Yeah, and one thing that I forgot to mention just as a practical tip is humor. Like humor, there's so many benefits to it. It goes a long ways in making us just happier people and being able to cope with things. You know, I've got a mother-in-law who's a nurse and, and you hear about people that work in the ER or that are police officers and they see traumatic things all the time and they kind of develop this like dark sense of humor mm-hmm. that to other people is cringeworthy. But it honestly is a coping mechanism. But whatever style of humor you have, it's just one other thing that makes life that much better. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this. I love hearing from you, Corey, the insights that you take away from it. And if any of the listeners out there have any feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. And Corey, I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.